Hello, this is Dr. Shiva. Welcome to our podcast, Get Educated or Be Enslaved. Episode 607, air date May 5th, 2020. Hello, everyone. This is Dr. Shiva Ayadure. We're going to be waiting uh, to start shortly. We have a lot of people of an interest. I'm sorry for the delay. I just went to a, a rally earlier today down in Boston, which was to end the lockdown. And uh, if you look on my Twitter feed, you'll see one of the uh, talks that I gave that, that was there. It was quite well attended, a lot of great people. And uh, it was excellent to see people come out and uh, not be afraid and wanting to stand up for their rights. It was, it was, it was, it was awesome. So today, what I want to do is I'm going to really give a deep talk. You know, I, I've, I've kept sort of talking about your body, your system. You know, uh, I've shared a little pieces of it. Um, I've gotten a lot of emails um, among many other topics, people saying, Dr. Shiva, why don't you really go through what is your body, your system, so we can get a little bit more understanding. So that's what I'm going to do today. It's going to be really focused on that. And I think you're going to learn a lot. Uh, particularly those of you who are interested in health and well-being and how to really understand the body as a system. And so I'm going to take you through my journey to getting to it. But fundamentally, in my view, there's a completely different way to look at the body. We can look at the body as, you know, tissues and cells and organs and, uh, you know, cell types and genes, et cetera. That's one way to look at the body as components. The other way, I think, is a very, very different way. And that way leads us to an understanding of the body, not based on an organ systems approach, but on a, a basis of what I call an engineering systems approach, which interesting enough matches with traditional systems of medicine. So that's what we're gonna um, go through today. And it's gonna be a complete piece unto itself. And so I hope you enjoy it. Before I do that, as I always do, I wanna just make sure everyone knows that I always do it as an introduction to let people know that I'm running for United States Senate and just to give you a, a background on that, um, many of you may know that um, I'm running for U.S. Senate. And, and in Massachusetts, the rally I was just at was at the Massachusetts State House. As you know, there's a lockdown in Massachusetts. I am running for United States Senate, and I'm running against Joe Kennedy, um, who is leading in the polls against his Democrat opponent called Ed Markey. So more than likely, it's going to be me against Joe Kennedy. Uh, for the U.S. Senate camp, uh, seat. And Massachusetts, as I've said over and over again, is really the center of the deep state. So if you go to my website, you have an opportunity to uh, see all the different things we're doing. Those of you who are outside of Massachusetts, please tell your friends. And those of you who are inside of Massachusetts, if you're outside, please tell your friends to go to I Will Vote for Shiva. And what we're doing is this is not your voting for me, but we really want to get an idea of who is going to support our campaign. So have people fill out this form so we start getting what do we call people pledging to support us. In addition, for all of you, which is now going to get to your body, your system, you should go to the Shiva for Senate page, and there's a little button here called Donate. And those people who want to support the campaign get access to a wonderful tool called Your Body, Your System, which we're going to walk through, but also a great book called System and Revolution, which really teaches you the fundamentals of systems thinking. And those of you who can't afford the 25 bucks, uh, donate whatever you can, the five or 10 bucks. Um, but it's really an opportunity for people to really learn about how the body is a system. So I just wanted to let you know that I am running for Senate. 
It's going to be an extraordinary campaign. We have an amazing bottoms up movement. A lot of people who are interested in health and well-being are supporting our campaign because of my position on medical freedom. Truth, health and freedom is the focus of the campaign. So anyway, everyone should go to, uh, you know, the donate button and support the campaign. In addition, I think we're very, very close. If you go to take action, as you know, I started this worldwide petition to fire Fauci. And it looks like that petition is doing really, really well. Wow, we're um, just less than 2,000 votes from firing Fauci. So everyone should go there. We're less than 2,000 votes to make this happen. All right. So let me start here uh, about what we want to talk about today. So um, my interest in health, as many people know, goes a long way back, a long way back. And it came out of this fundamental desire to understand how my grandmother, who was a traditional healer, who was by no means at stethoscope with the white shirt and tie or anything like that, looking like a doctor. She was a farmer, which I'll talk about. And, and uh, on the weekend, she was a village healer. In most systems, in villages or traditional systems of medicine, it was always the woman who was the healer in the village. And that is what my grandmother was. She was a village healer in the small town village in deep South India called Muahur, M-U-H-A-V-U-R. And so let me really jump into this here. And I'm going to really, I think everyone's really going to appreciate what is, what is um, your body, your system? Why did I create it? And what, why is it important for everyone listening today? So um, you can listen along, but if you go to uh, your body, your system, the website, there is a website for it. So those of you out, out of the country can go there and you can see that the uh, website says, be happy, be you. And if you read closely, it says health begins with knowing the unique you, your body is a unique system that needs the right inputs for the right conditions. Use this tool to know the unique you on your journey to real health and to understand the principles of all systems. So what do I mean by that? You see, once you understand the principles I'm gonna share with you, you can use your body as really an educational laboratory to understand these um, very particular forces that occur in your body, but those same forces occur everywhere in nature. And this journey for me discovering this was literally integrating Eastern medicine with engineering systems theory, which no one has frankly had ever done in the world before, but out of that came this way that I could explain to anyone how to understand anything as a system. Now, it so happens we all have a body. So uh, using these principles on the body is really a way for us to really get a physical understanding of systems. So that's the first thing. Now, many of you know, I grew up in two worlds, even in India. I grew up in the city called Bombay. Bombay is like New York on steroids. If it's You have every culture, every religion, more than you can imagine in New York, but it's quite an eclectic city. But I also... And these are some of the scenes of Bombay. I mean, I remember it taking the train, lots of people in Bombay. And in one scene like this, you can see all the different ages, uh, you know, from the bullock carts, people walking on feet, to people in a cycle rickshaw, people with, you know, really nice cars. Um, but it's quite an interesting thing in this one scene, you can see a whole uh, set of India, you know, spanning multiple, uh, centuries, in fact. And that's what's profound about India. It's not like you're in one age, but you actually can traverse in one day or a few hours. You can literally go back all the way to the, you know, 
10th century and you can go all the way, in fact, to the future. It's quite a, a eclectic country in that sense. You can see many, many things. So for example, b besides that, I also grew up in this deep South Indian village, which was very different, you know, emerald. Um, I mean, it's, it's quite beautiful, actually. You have these amazing rice fields and coconut trees. Um, and these are the pictures of, for example, Indian temples. They always have these South Indian temples. They're called Shaivaya temples, Shiva temples. They have the red and the white stripes, and they typically have different deities, uh, etc. But my grandparents were poor village farmers. They used to literally, I remember going to the fields and my grandmother would plant one, you know, um, unit of uh, rice paddy in these uh, waters where there were a lot of leeches, uh, snakes, etc. So you had to be careful, but people would do this as their work. Um, and that's a picture of my grandmother in her Sunday best, which means she's all dressed up. You notice that they wear the vibhuti, which is a holy ash. Uh, that's what that white stuff is. And on, on, on the uh, center of it uh, was uh, women who were married would have the red dot. It's called a bindi. Sometimes when you did prayer, you had it. And she's obviously wearing a sari. But my grandmother had the ability to read your face. There's an entire um, system of Indian medicine in Siddha called Samudrika Lakshanam. So it's a term in, in uh, Tamil with the language I speak, which means face, which reading. Uh, Lakshanam means your face, and Samudrika means extracting an understanding of you from your face. So she taught me a lot of these things, but the face, actually, every point on the face, according to this theory, relates to different parts of your organs and different parts of your system. So for example, the eyes are relating to liver. You know, the tip of the nose, for example, relates to heart issues. The center, you know, relates to uh, different things. Liver uh, also, the bottom of the eyes relate to adrenals. So, you know, if you're really tired, you have those adrenal issues, uh, kidneys, but every part of the face relates to different parts of your body. And the idea was if you could read the face, you could understand what someone's body type is and how they're disturbed from it. So she had a very particular capability to do that. Um, so, um, so that was called Samudraka Lakshanam. And my grandmother had this um, very cool intuition, but she learned about it. And that system of medicine had a whole language. I'm not going to go into this. In the course I teach called System Self, people can learn it. But that system of Indian um, medicine was called Siddha, S-I-D-D-H-A, practice in the South. Um, and in the north, it was called Ayurveda, but Siddha actually has many more uh, aspects to it fundamentally than Ayurveda. And there's obviously arguments about this between the North Indians and the South Indians. But Siddha had martial arts. It had the use of herbs. It had the use of, you know, the yoga postures. It had the use of heavy metals in dosages. In fact, they had a whole technique, what you would call ancient pharmaceuticals. They had a way to refine these very, very... Um, uh, refined units, for example, from um, Tulsi, which is basil, they would extract small amounts of mercury or different uh, herbs, and they would combine those in micro nanomolar amounts. And then they had the also the ability to do meditation. But the Siddhars in South India believed that you could uh, live forever, that part of life was not just to, um, uh, you know, be enlightened, but also to learn how to preserve the body. But anyway, the key thing you'll see in this yellow band is called Vatha Pitta Kapha, light workers and healers. Yep, Vata, Pitta, and Kapha was the three words that were used to characterize someone's body. 
Someone could be a vata, someone could be a pitta, someone could be a kapha, someone could be all three um, or combinations. But without getting into the details, um, what I want to let you know is that there's these uh, ways that there is a language, there is this whole system um, that I could teach. In fact, I used to teach this course. So when my family came here, I was I came here as a seven-year-old kid to the United States, left India on my seventh birthday. So I was very, very motivated to understand how my grandmother was able to do this, really observed her doing this. And so that was one of my motivations to study really hard, uh, work really hard. And so by the time I was 14 years old, I was one of those kids who was uh, very motivated. By the way, not only in academics, I was good in sports and all those other things. But by the time I was 14, I'd finished all my math courses and there were no other, in fact, I'd finished calculus in ninth grade, which was offered in first year college or in, in senior high school. And uh, my high school had no other courses to teach me. So I got very fortunate. My mother had seen a little newspaper clipping that a professor at NYU was gonna offer a course to, not a course, but, a, but an opportunity for high school students and you had to be in the 11th grade or um, going to 12th grade, uh, I mean, going into 11th or going to 12th, to go to NYU in the summer and study seven computer languages. So I was one of those kids who was selected. I was only ninth grade. I, I really was uh, too young to apply, but I did anyway, because people, uh, my parents were concerned I was bored. But anyway, I was very lucky. 40 students out of thousands of students who applied got selected. And I was one of those fortunate 40. And when I applied, um, uh, it was a great opportunity. My mother would drop me off at the train station as a 14 year old kid in Newark. And I would take it as about an hour and a half train ride into New York as a 14 year old. And I studied seven programming languages at what was known as the Corant Institute of Mathematical Sciences within NYU. It's one of the most prestigious mathematical institutes. I was taught by professors and others, seven languages. And I graduated number one in that class. Uh, and the professor taught that was a professor by the name of Henry Mullish. And when, in fact, two, last year I went to Israel because he had died there several years ago to give a memorial lecture. And, uh, but uh, Henry Mullish had this vision that in the future that we would need software engineers. And so he could see the future. And I was one of those kids who got to learn software engineering. And I became quite good at it, so good that after I finished that program, I still had classes to do in high school, humanities courses, but I ended up getting a full-time job in the heart of Newark, New Jersey, N-E-W-A-R-K, and you can look this up. Um, and you can look up, uh, and Newark, New Jersey, one of the poorest cities in the United States, primarily all African-Americans, but in that, and this is a little picture of that university, was a small college called um, the University of Medicine Dentistry of New Jersey, which is today known as Rutgers Medical School but I was given the opportunity to work as a full-time research fellow, as a 14-year-old kid. Now I had other jobs too, I, I, I uh, did mail, uh, I mean, I did uh, a newspaper delivery, I had all sorts of things I did, but here I got a full-time job to do uh, medical research using my programming skills. Now initially what I did was to really understand um, why babies were dying in their sleep. The lab I was working in had sleep data which look like this babies, by the way, have six states of sleep. And you know, when the baby gets SIDS, sudden infant death syndrome, the baby suddenly stops breathing. And the idea was, could I develop a AI type technology? This was back in 1978. 
You know, when, by the way, computers would fill up a massive building. And here I was given access to the mini computers, which were developing at the time, and incredible people. I was working with people 30, 40, 50 years older than me. They treated me as an equal. The rule that I had with my supervisor, Dr. Michelson, was I would be treated like an adult. I was expected to work as an adult. I would show up early with my little briefcase, believe it or not, and I would work very hard. But I wrote some very interesting algorithms to observe the sleep patterns and to predict when the baby would go to this apnea on the go. And I, in fact, later, several years later, I presented that at a lecture in Espo, Finland, at one of the biggest medical conferences. So just to let you know that I've been involved in medical research, applying AI type techniques, mathematics, computers, going back now, I'm 57 years old. That goes back to nearly 43 years ago. Now, while I was working there, I also had the opportunity to do something more interesting or in a different world was I was dragged in because of my programming skills and, and because of the fact I had a great mentor, Dr. Michelson, he also uh, uh, enlisted me uh, to solve another problem. Some of you over the age of 40 may know that in many of these organizations like a medical school, they had the thing called the inter-office mail system. And the inter-office mail system always included uh, a secretary and the secretary sat at her desk, physical desktop, and she had the inbox, as you can see here, the outbox, she had a drafts folder, she had paper clips, she had this thing called a typewriter. She would write something, and by the way, behind her were folders, underneath her was a trash can. She'd write this thing called a memo, and the memo had a very particular structure. <coughs> to, from, subject, what the subject of the memo was. Sometimes they would write a CC, what was, I mean, a, a, a carbon copy. So if, let's say I was gonna hire you, I would write to my supervisor to, you know, uh, John Doe, that I want to hire person X. And then I may have to also CC their supervisor. It's called a carbon copy. In that case, I would take the first copy of the letter, put a carbon paper, another paper, and type away. So at the end of it, you'd have the original and a carbon paper. I don't know if any one of you have seen this, but this was uh, that was called a CC. Sometimes you may do a blind CC because you wanted to let someone else know. And in addition, you had sometimes attachments. There were paper clips. Let's say I, I attached your resume. So you had the memo, me the memo and the attachment, the CC, the blind carbon copy. And all of this was put into an envelope called the inner office envelope. Sometimes you may want registered mail. You may, and then that would get put into, so by the way, when the secretary got a dictation from her boss, she would type away this letter, put it in the drafts folder. The boss would come redline it. Then she would type it, put it into the outbox it would get sent out and the next day if someone had a response, they would put it in our inbox, okay? These were physical boxes. Well, I was asked to convert this entire system into the electronic version. We're not talking about sending simple text messages. In those mainframes, you could do simple text messages. I'm talking about converting the entire system into the electronic form. And so I wrote 50,000 lines of code. By the way, these were, the. this is how these offices looked. You had these pneumatic tubes would go around, people would route them, people would process emails, quite fascinating to see as a, as a kid. By the way, my customers in this exercise were these secretaries. Um, I never thought any less of them. I thought of them as my teachers and they were my customers and they wanted, the goal was I would create an electronic version of this entire inner office mail system, inbox, outbox, folders, drafts, um, you know, carbon copy, all of this in the electronic form. And guess what? I wrote 50,000 lines of code to capture all hundreds of features. 
and I named that system email. And by the way, the reason I called it email was because the operating system only allowed five characters. By the way, all the code in those days always had to be in uppercase. Now, to, just to give you the context of this, that at that time, in six months before, and by the way, we, we found this years later, the leaders of the field of electronic messaging thought creating such a system like this, and these were very senior people, much older than me, thought this was impossible. In fact, we found this in the MIT archives where it says, at this time, no attempt is being made to emulate the full-scale inter-organizational mail system, which means an inter-office mail system. And these were experts at the time. This report was written in December of 1977. And what it says is the fact that the system is intended for use in various contexts makes and, and be, by users of differing expertise makes it almost impossible to build a system which responds to all users' needs. What they were saying was that they never thought users of differing expertise, secretaries could ever use a computer and it was impossible to build a system like this. Well, I didn't. Anyway, I wrote all that code, called it email, captured every feature. In fact, here's a picture of me with my high school teachers who came by uh, when I did a school project where they wanted to come to the lab to see what I had done. And this was back in 1980, a couple of years after I created the system. Now in those days, you couldn't patent software. You could only copyright it by the Copyright Act of 1980, which is what I did. And uh, remember, I, my parents weren't Bill Gates's parents. Uh, they were, you know, quite, you know, working class people, mathematicians. My dad was an engineer. And um, when I went to MIT, the president of MIT said you should copyright it, and that's what I did. That was the only way to protect software. And I called that system email. Now, the important thing relative to our discussion is that email is a system. It's not the simple exchange of text messages. And this is important. Much of the nonsensical controversy that was created, in spite of the fact I called it email, wrote the code, is this purposeful conflation of email, the system, with simple text messaging. I never claimed to have invented text messaging, but I created email, the system, as we all know and use it today. But anyway, as a kid, I learned about systems. And that's what we're talking about. Email is the system. And by the way, many years later, I never made a penny off of this because in those days you couldn't patent software. You could only copyright it. And copyright law doesn't allow you unless uh, uh, patent law allows you for the design. And only 1994 could you patent software. But anyway, many years later, uh, in 2011, when my mom was dying and she'd saved all the artifacts, the editor of Time Magazine went through it and he, and he wrote this article called A Man Who Invented Email. But anyway, this was an important event, but I learned about systems. This was, by the way, before I came to MIT. When I came to MIT, remember, I was deeply, deeply interested in medicine. And I thought, wow, MIT um, would, uh, you know, I wanted to do pre-med and I would really, really um, uh, learn, you know, about the body as a system, again, motivated by my grandmother. And what I learned was that in the world of a place like MIT, what we call Western science, they didn't view the body as a whole. They viewed it as a bunch of parts, you know, one gear connected to the other gear. So this is something profoundly important is that the Western world did not consider the body as a whole. And you'll see because they didn't have a language. So they can, you know, they saw it as a bunch of independent parts. So this, um, concern me and it concerns it should concern everyone because when you actually look at how medicine operates because we teach the body as parts 
as organs, you get chaperoned if you ever have a problem to different people with different specialties. So if you have a headache, you may they may tell you to go see a psychiatrist. Maybe they're going to give you some drugs. They may go to uh, have you see a neuroendocrinologist. They may think something's going on with your you know endocrine system. They may have you go see someone um, you know who specializes in migraine headaches, so on. But there's not one person who understands the whole body. So they triage you to different people. And the results of this uh, are not good because you may get sent to five different people and none of them talk together. So this really began my journey to systems. And so my journey when I came to MIT, I didn't end up going to med school. I ended up doing my first degree in electrical engineering and computer science. And in fact, my thesis work on that was operating systems. I built one of the first operating systems for cardiology workstations. Um, so again, always having a foot in medicine. And then I went out, started, uh, uh, was a founding engineer at a company, came back to MIT uh, many years later, 1989. I did my uh, master's, actually I, I graduated in 86, um, uh, 85. And then I did my master's in a field called mechanical engineering and looking at how waves propagate through composite media. This is why when people ask me about 5G, you know, it's an interesting area. I'm going to be doing a set of sessions for you to explain to you what waves are. I'm, um, you know, it's an expertise that I have. But also in 1990, I went back to the MIT Media Lab uh, and I got a degree in visual design. I have a, I do a lot of artwork, believe it or not, I do a lot of design, but I also have a degree in visual design. And in 1993, I started my PhD work um, in a field that I created called information cybernetics, what you call AI, I created a different way of looking at all different types of information and signal analysis of a document, a speech signal, a handwriting, a document. And while I was in that, I got uh, invited uh, by the United States White House with the National Institute of Standards. President Clinton at the time was a president. And that's when email volume was explosively, explosively growing. And they were looking for technologists to read an email and categorize it with the National Institute of Standards. So I was the only graduate student invited to participate with other companies. And the net of it was I ended up winning that contest. I was quite um, surprised, I was very, very fortunate. And in the middle of this, because I thought this was so cool, I left MIT to start a company. In fact, I started two companies. One company I did was called Arts Online because the internet was starting to go to put artists direct on the internet. And I started Echo Mail, which was a technology to read email and route it and analyze it to lower the cost of customer service. As email volume was coming in, it was explosively growing. So EchoMail was this very powerful technique to read an email, sort it and respond and review it by a customer service person. Um, and then I did that for, believe it or not, for 10 years, close to 10 years, built this extraordinary company, created a lot of jobs in Massachusetts. And then something interesting happened. I was literally walking back to MIT one day to visit a professor of mine and he said, Shiva, you, you got to come back to MIT. There's an extraordinary event going on called systems biology. And he said that it requires people like you who have really good skills in computing and have a love of medicine and to marry it. So that's why I came back to MIT in 2003 um, to pursue that. And I'll talk about that. And then um, once I finished that, I started a company. I, I, I took, and we're going to talk about this. I took two years off between 2007 and 2009, went back to India, armed with my PhD 
to understand the integration of Eastern and Western medicine. And that's what we'll talk about today. And studied Siddha and systems biology. And um, taught at MIT when I got back from India 2009 to 11, a course I created called Sid, uh, uh, Traditional Medicines and Systems Biology. And then uh, and, uh, since then I, I run Cytosol, which is a company that I created, and then also Systems Health. Okay, so that's the background. So let's sort of dive right in. One of the things, important developments that occurred in 2003, around here, if you look at this graph here, was the Genome Project ended. In 2000, 1993 is when the Genome Project first started. And the Genome Project was quite interesting because what they were trying to do was trying to map the human genome. And the idea was they said, wow, human beings are so much more complicated than a worm. In 1993, we knew a worm had around 20,000 genes. So we thought, wow, we must have at least a million or 100,000 genes. And what you see in this graph is as a genome project proceeds from 1993 onward, you know, they're not finding 100,000 genes or 80,000 genes or 50, et cetera. They only end up finding 20,000 genes. So what that means to everyone listening is we have the same number of genes as a, as a worm, okay? That's what we have. We have the same number of genes as a worm. So, um, uh, so, so, so that's um, what was revealed from that, that we have the same number of genes as a worm. And that led to a new field of biology called systems biology and why? Because people are realizing, wait a minute, if we have the same number of genes as a worm, what really makes us different? And the notion that appeared out of that was it's not the number of parts, but it's how those parts are interconnected because genes give rise to proteins. And if those proteins interconnect in different ways, it's a complexity of those interconnections that makes you and I different than a worm. Okay, so that gave rise to an amazing field called systems biology, where it said, if we wanna understand the whole human being, we gotta understand not just the organs, but how the cell types are related to the organs and all the different tissues that make that all the way down into the genome. Basically, we have to connect the genes to the proteins. Basically, it was a much more complicated problem. And one of the things that emerged out of that time was, could you mathematically model the whole human cell? So imagine, if we could mathematically model the entire human cell. Um, uh, so that's what the goal was. Could we mathematically model the entire human cell? And this was a, a grand challenge put forward by the National Science Foundation. And think about this, why was this important? If you think about the cell, it's basically like a big reactor of chemical reactions. So if we could actually model all the chemical reactions, we could use a computer to really understand diseases. What is inflammation? What is lupus? What is Alzheimer's on the computer and all the mechanism? Now, this was seen as an impossible problem. And uh, same thing sort of, I heard that, you know, the invention of email was impossible, but I like these kind of challenges. So I took it on and the opportunity was, the way I looked at it was I said, look, let's decentralize the problem. So if you consider the cell, this blue circle as a cell, it's composed of all different subsystems, pathways. So if we could break it up into smaller problems, which each person could own, then I would create some technology which would put all of them together. It's much simpler than what I'm explaining, but I created some very powerful ways to do the math on that. And that created Cytosol. I wrote lots of papers on this 
In fact, a, a very great article came out called Creating a Accurate Models of Life in which Cytosol was featured. And so anyway, that resulted in me creating this huge technology to really create mathematical models of different biomolecular functions. So we could look at the literature, we could convert it to models, we could make these models accessible to the research community, whoever that they were that they wanted to use it. And the more feedback we got from them, our models got better and better and better. So, um, you know, we work with natural products companies. We in fact had a company like Pfizer come to us wanting us to model lupus and autoimmune diseases. They started and then one day they just disappeared. The whole innovation group, uh, we don't know what happened, but they, they just uh, uh, stopped existing and the leadership disappeared. But uh, had they used us, they would have really been able to understand disease in a different way. Then we work with a lot of natural products companies. We work with functional food companies, companies in, with organic foods where they're making bars. They actually wanna know what to put in there. What will actually help the body? What are toxic? What actually are efficacious? But this is the future of medicine. So once I finished that, my PhD work, what I realized was that I had now uh, had four degrees from MIT, my PhD, what more did I need? Um, and remember, I had always wanted to, as a child, understand how my grandmother was able to do that healing. What was the system she was practicing? And here, I'd been given this amazing opportunity to understand Western system of medicine, how the West looked at the world. So, but my intention was not only this, I wanted to also integrate Eastern and Western systems of medicine. Remember, this is on the left is a Western, here's the Eastern. And my theory was, could I figure out a way to integrate these two worlds? So normally people would think this is pretty wacky. You know, I finished my PhD, typically people get their PhD or they go start a company or, you know, they'll go get a big job. But what I did was I wanted in uh, my own curiosity and reverence to my grandmother, I decided to go back to India on a Fulbright. It was a very prestigious scholarship. And this, this MIT put on the front page of MIT saying Fulbright scholar on a new adventure. And what this article was really about was it was a great, you know, PR thing for me. You know, a lot of people got very excited what I was doing. But what the article was really about was saying, hey, this guy's got four degrees. He's going back to India. He created the first email system. Why would he want to do this? They were very curious. Um, but what I wanted to do was to go back to India to understand how was my grandmother able to do that? What was the system of medicine she was doing? And could I relate it to the West? That was really my goal because my theory was that there was definitely something going on. And I could see in the Western system of medicine, many of the doctors or traditionally trained doctors, they because they couldn't understand what, the, what someone like my grandmother was doing, um, uh, someone said, give all the elites vaccination first. It's hilarious. Um, so um, the goal was, you know, could I actually understand this? Because if I could, I felt I could bridge the worlds of East and West. And I felt there was something with the language. Anyway, after I uh, did my PhD, I went back to India. And one of the things I realized, and then we're going to get into this, is that um, that here we were dealing with two different systems. You know, email was a system. Um, the system of Indian medicine is a system. Uh, Western medicine is a system. So the idea was, could I understand and bridge these two systems together? If I could, I felt that I could make something, you know, an important contribution. So first of all, what is a system? First of all, a system is a set of 
things working together as parts of a mechanism or an interconnection of a network or a complex whole. So for example, if you open the back of a watch, you'll see all these gears. Well, the watch isn't any one part. It's an integration of all of those parts, okay? It's not any one piece. And over here, you see a space shuttle engine, okay? It's the integration of all these little pieces creates the space shuttle. By the way, if one part in the, in the watch or one part is off, the space shuttle is not gonna take off. Here's a city. A city is also a system from the aerial view, may not look like if you're on the bottom, but it's all these, it's the streets, it's the roads, it's the highways, it's all these interconnections of systems. The cell is a system, the nucleus and the mitochondria, all interconnecting together with the cell membrane, ribosomes, et cetera. And this is a system. So my, when I was in, in you know, traveling across India, you know, I, I, tra I traveled to different ashrams, I traveled, I studied ancient texts, and the goal was, you know, what was this Indian system of medicine? What were the words that they were using? Vata, Pitta, Kapha, Prakriti, Karma. They, you know, they had this whole language. And um, the aha moment I had, and we'll get to that, was I realized that the words that they were do using were in fact similar not to Western medicine, not to genes and proteins, but they were actually similar to engineering systems principles. The same principles that I studied in mechanical engineering or electrical engineering to understand how a car works or a thermostat works, how the automatic windshield wiper works, that the terminology there is what matched. And that was the big aha moment that I had. And, and that really came from um, understanding, you know, or realizing that, uh, or the question was, do all systems, what do all, what do all systems have in common? And what I'm going to share with you is that all systems in the universe have these five things in common, okay? First of all, the concept of an input. Every system has an input, stuff coming in, pretty easy. Every system has an output, stuff going out. Every system has a transport of stuff between the input and the output. That's called motion, movement of information, matter and energy, transport. And by the way, these are terms that people in the Western world in engineering systems theory understand. And this is sort of transport, the movement of the dancer through the air or the transport of nerve signals. The fourth element of every system is conversion, the ability to take information or matter or energy in one form and convert it. When I start talking about uh, 5G later, we'll start talking about transducers and the pineal gland, but these are transducers. They take energy from one form and convert it to another. Your computer takes one plus one and uses a CPU to get two, okay? Your stomach does conversion and a solar cell does conversion, it takes light and it converts it to electricity or a diesel generator. It takes fuel and it converts it to electricity. Um, the last part of a system is storage. You can look at it. Um, it's the thing that the system is held in, the structure. This building's room is a storage element, all the beams and the structures that hold this. A simple case is a pot that holds the oatmeal you make, okay? The input is the oatmeal, the output is a warm pool of oatmeal, the stirring is the action of the transport, the heat is a conversion element, okay? A battery is for storage of electricity. And so this is what we call the basic system, okay? And all systems have these five elements. I hope that's clear. Input, output, transport, conversion, storage, okay? Um, so the second thing you find is that, um, and this is another way to look at it, the yellow is the storage, 
the transport is a line coming in and the red part is a conversion. So now one of the things you'll realize is there are simple systems or dumb systems. For example, light switch, you turn on it and all the systems I'm talking about are simple. You turn on an input, which is flip the switch, electricity is transported into the light bulb where it's converted into heat energy, which gives you light. And then the heat is stored within that encasing. You also have a, 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 a water uh, faucet, for example, is an open system. You turn it, right? Or a dumb system, you turn it, the water which is stored comes through. The valve is the thing that converts this water that's sitting to flow and it's transported through. And there's many things. Uh, as I shared yesterday, the establishment or those in power want you to be a dumb or open system. They want you to just take input, which is an ad, and they want, they want that information transported to your brain. Your brain converts it, it sees a McDonald's burger, and then it runs out and it goes by. And the storage is all of this in, knowledge is encased within you. So there you go, that's a, um, that is a basic system, okay? So what I just shared with you here is, if you went to MIT, you would take a semester course and you would learn these things called general systems theory, or you could learn this thing called um, open system. So I just taught you something, basically would take you about 13 uh, weeks to learn, but you've gotten the fundamentals. And that's what the most important thing in learning is. Now, what is an intelligent system? So in if you took this second level course called control systems theory, you would find out in intelligent systems or a control system as a goal, where it wants to go. For example, I wanna uh, reduce my weight or I wanna get an A. I wanna be an Olympic athlete. And in that case, in a feedback or intelligent system, you take the output and you put a sensor and you feed it back so you can observe your goal versus where you're actually at. I wanna lose 200 pounds, I'm, I'm 180 pounds. The sensor, the weighing scale is your sensor. And then you have something extraordinary called a controller which is takes the input I mean, takes your goal, what the actual output is says, wow, I'm going to be 200, I'm 200 pounds. I want to get down to 180. What is the difference? 20 pounds. And the controller makes decisions. It is a thing that makes decisions to send into your system to achieve the output, right? So it, the input may be exercise, you know, eating um, certain types of foods, uh, relaxing, getting more sleep. And that would change the output from 200 pounds Maybe you start exercising, you start eating a little better and your weight drops down to 190 and then you go around and around and achieve your goal or you may not achieve your goal. And you may not achieve your goal because there's a fourth aspect of intelligent systems called disturbances, the things that get in your way. You wanna lose weight, your friends who are not healthy, they come and disturb you and then you go off kilter. But intelligent systems know how to modulate even in the midst of a disturbance to bring you back in alignment. An airplane, for example, when it flies from Boston to San Francisco, I don't know if you know, 99% of the time it's off course and it's making decisions in the middle of disturbances to bring it back on course. So let's, um, so in, in summary, the goal, the sensor, the controller and disturbances are the four additional elements that make up what's called an intelligent system. Now let's take a simple example. Let's say your goal is to, let's say your goal is to, uh, and we'll take your thermostat. This is an intelligent system. Let's say the goal is to have 78 degrees in your lovely living room here. 
and you're sitting in your living room. By the way, below in your living room is a hot water heater, which is a storage of hot water. So if you want to achieve 78 degrees, what you do is you measure the temperature using the thermostat. That's a sensor in this case. And using that sensor, you can now make an understanding of what the difference is. In this case, you're eight degrees off. And there's a valve here, you know, which is typically in your basement, which will say, you know what, I'm eight degrees off. So let's send some more juice in. And that will result in more hot water coming into your living room. That hot water comes into your living room. And guess what happens? The temperature goes up. Now you're 80 degrees temperature. And you say, wow, I'm two degrees too high. And then your hot water shuts off. That's a controller turning it off because you're over uh, overreached your goal. And then you get a little lower temperature. And then you say, you know, I need a little more. You send hot water and voila, you finally hit 78 degrees and you turn off hot water. That's how things work. A control system says, here's a goal and you're making these adjustments. I hope that's clear. Now, all of that could occur in the middle of a disturbance, meaning someone left the window on and your thermostat's over there. So now you have to make adjustments because the, the temperature reading may be off. But anyway, the bottom line is the, this is what an intelligent system is. Now, the most important graph in this entire discussion here that I want you to consider is this. An intelligent system, and this is what's important to understand, intelligence is about committing to a goal and making adjustments so you achieve your goal, knowing that you're never going to be perfect. But intelligence begins with a goal. Okay, so this is what I've discovered and I'm able to articulate this to you. And so now, interesting enough, so based on this knowledge that I had from an engineering systems approach, the big aha moment I had when I was in India, I said, you know what? The Indians in their system, they also use a set of language. They call it karma and karma fall. Karma is fundamentally action, which is input. What action do you take? The input to your system. Karma follows the fruits of action, right? For every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction. Vata is a transport aspect. You know, it's a movement aspect. Pitta is considered the conversion aspect. So in the Indian medicine system, they'd say your liver is a pitta organ. It's the one that does conversion. Kapha is the aspect of your body that supports you, your bone, your skeletal structure, the fat, okay? Vata is all the aspects of motion. So anyway, you can see where I'm going at. So the aha moment, I said, wait a minute, this is so very similar to what an open system is. And then when I look integrated Indian yoga systems, which is also part of Siddha, they had terms like Sankalpa and Vikaras and Indriyas and Manas. Sankalpa turns out is a mission that your yogi gives you or you discover for yourself. What is my mission in life? The Indriyas are your senses. They're sensing your touch, smell, vision, where you're actually going. And then the manas are your mind making the decision in the midst of Vikara's disturbances. So for example, if your goal, your in the case of Buddha, his goal was to be enlightened being. That was the Sankalpa. Now he would, based on that, he would take certain actions. And then he would see, was he achieving his goal? That was his mind. Um, now this could be as manas or your mind making actions in the midst of disturbances. But what I realized was that, look at this sort of aha was what I realized was in engineering systems theory, we have this world input, output, transport, conversion, storage, you know, goal, controller, sensor, disturbances. So if you talked about this to anyone, they say, oh yeah, I understand you in the Western world, but look at this. 
the Eastern systems of medicine have this terminology. So the aha moment I had was I said, you know what? These people are just speaking two different languages. Um, and that's what the issue really is. It has nothing to do with one um, system uh, not being valid. So my grandmother was doing was basically practicing engineering systems theory, okay? And engineering systems theory is what runs a thermostat or the automatic wind wiper. So in this system of medicine, you have a goal, which is, and we're gonna get to that. So in the Eastern systems of medicine, we've talked about immune health. In the Eastern systems of medicine, it's assumed that your body has its own intelligence. It actually knows where it wants to be. Now, each one of us may have a different point that's right for us, but the goal of health is to figure out who, where your body likes to be, which is your goal, and do things that you bring your body back into you, okay? Be happy, be you is the realization. So, and I wrote this up in a very uh, interesting journal. I didn't write this in a medical journal because medical doctors weren't gonna get this. I didn't write it into some woo-woo alternative journal. I went to an engineering journal and it took me about a year or two years to explain this and get it accepted, but it was accepted. And the paper I wrote was called, as you can see here, let me make it a little bit bigger. It's a great paper. I don't write a lot of these papers. I do one maybe every three or four years. Some people do a hundred papers a year and I don't know how they do it, but it says a control systems engineering foundation of traditional Indian medicine, the Rosetta stone for Siddha and Ayurveda. Why did I call it that? Some of you may know um, Napoleon, when he was in Egypt, found the stone, which was the missing link, which could uh, decipher Egyptian hieroglyphics to modern Greek. So what I felt I had discovered was a whole way of understanding Indian systems of medicine to engineering theory. And that was really the Rosetta Stone that I'd created. So what this did in a good way was it basically broke down the barriers because people would typically think the yoga stuff and all this stuff was woo-woo medicine. And I had figured out a way to explain it. In fact, when I got back in 2009, 10 to MIT, I made this into a course and I taught it for about two, three years, 200, 300 people would show up on a Thursday night, sit there for three hours and I would teach people in detail the integration of Eastern and Western medicine. Far different than functional medicine is a very different way. Um, and my goal was to bridge the yoga teacher and the acupuncturist and the chiropractor I knew had value for, so they could discuss with the doctors and the doctors could understand what they were doing. So it was a really way to unify people. And that became the basis of a tool I created called Your Body, Your System, which is what by the way, if everyone's interested, you anyone out of the country, go to yourbodyyoursystem.com. I've made it so cheap. I used to charge some ridiculous amount for it, but we've made it like the Ford. It's like 25 bucks and there's a scholarship there. You should go check it out um, and I'll come back to that. And then um, I offer it as a part of our campaign for truth, freedom and health. But what you can do is if you go to the site here, you can literally go to get started now and you will see that there's a special offer running, but you also not just get the tool, but you get a really cool book. It's about a 120 page book. You can read it pretty quickly, but it's called System and Revolution. And System and Revolution will actually teach you the fundamental principles of systems. It's a great book. Again, I don't write a lot of stuff unless I really enjoy doing it, but it also gives you the tool. So you get the theory and you get the tool. So that's what 
I create as a part of this. And what does this allow you to do? Well, the tool allows you to find your goal for your body from a systems perspective. So you answer a set of questions and this, what you're seeing here is this red dot in this triangle called transport conversion storage. So that triangle is a 3D triangle where you measure how much transport you have in your body, how much conversion, how much storage. You know what? That matches with Vata, Pitta, Kapha, which is what my grandmother was doing. My grandmother would look at your body, but now you don't have to go all the way to India to find one of these people. Basically, you could observe yourself answering yourself a set of questions. These questions, by the way, I evolved out of my research um, and with, with work I did with people in India and my Fulbright research. So the first set of questions helps you find out who you are, what I call your natural system state, all right? And this is important because these questions help you figure out how much transport you have in your body, how much conversion, and how much storage. Now, it doesn't mean your, your dot is in the center and you're perfected human being. No, the dot could be anywhere. That red dot is who you are, okay? I hope that's clear. Now, so that helps you define where your body likes to be when your immune system is functioning well, for example. Separate from that, you answer a different set of questions and it defines what's called this black dot. That black dot is when you're disturbed, when you're not on, when you're not on your game, you're off course, okay? No different than that airplane being off course, no different than the thermostat being off course. So that could be because you didn't get enough sleep. That's because, and then by the way, the questions you answer to get that black dot are very different. The questions you ask for the red dot are questions about who you are in general. The questions you ask for the black dot are what's going on with you today. So it's very different. You know, you didn't get enough sleep or you had jet lag or whatever. So that black dot, red dot is the difference. Now, if the black dot is on the red dot, that means you are you. If the black dot is away, the goal is how do you bring the black dot back to the red dot? Well, remember what I said? When you're off course, it's the inputs you decide to do. What are the inputs you decide to do? In the case of the thermostat, you know, when you're off course, you send more fuel in or hot water. Well, the inputs here are a little bit different. The inputs could be food. It could be supplements. Think about all the things that you have control over, what you put in your body, what environment you're in, what friends you hang out with, whether you meditate, whether you sleep. These inputs into your body will bring back the black dot, hopefully back to the red dot or take it away. And so this tool actually has a really cool ways that you can play with this, understand this. So the essence of your body, your system is a very, and it took me, um, when did I start developing this? In 2010, it took me about 10 years to really make it easy for you. So you get to learn systems theory, you get to learn a little bit of traditional systems of medicine, and then you get to use this tool to understand what are the right foods and supplements that support your body to get back to you, okay? So you don't have to fly all the way. By the way, my, my grandmother passed on about uh, 15 years ago. So anyway, you don't have to go to India. You can use this tool to understand these principles. And so in closing, what I wanna let you know is, you know, Western medicine sees the world as parts. So you learn, so MDs learn the organ, you know, or they learn the brain or they learn the heart. And my point here is there's a very different way to look at the body as transport, conversion and storage and input and output and a goal, a sensor, your, you know, the controller and the disturbance. This viewpoint lets you go beyond organs into what I call a whole systems understanding of the body. 
Okay, so it lets you go beyond this parts-based understanding of the body, you know, little organs to what we can call a whole systems understanding of the body. So that's what systems health really is. And to let everyone know, you know, you can anyone to who wants to take advantage of this, you can literally go to the tool, you know, right up here called, let me go right here. Uh, let me go, I think, oh, the fire Fauci petition here. Let me go here to your body, your system. Sorry about that. So if you go to your body, your system, you can literally um, go to get started now. And anyone out of the country, you should go here. And you can, by the way, we have a scholarship. We know people are in hard times. So you can go here, I think, uh, and you can just cho choose a scholarship amount. I think we give up to $20 scholarship. So we make it almost be five bucks if you really need it. Again, only it's an honor system. As we say here, if you notice on the top, it says scholarships available for economic distress. It's the honor system. And the goal is to know who you are, the natural system state, the red dot. Know when you're not you, which is the black dot, and discover a food exercise su supplements can bring you back to you. Now, in, in closing, you know, everyone knows I'm running for U.S. Senate. Uh, for those of you in the United States, if you support the campaign, because it's a tool I created, you can get the book here, okay, if you give 25 or more, or you, you know, um, you uh, support your body and, and you get access to your body, your system. Again, those of your economic distress, if you can't give 25, give whatever you can afford, okay? There you go. So that is uh, uh, what uh, what your body or system is. Again, everyone should remember that I'm running for uh, U.S. Senate and people should support the campaign and our campaigns, a movement for truth, freedom and health, truth, freedom and health. So let me go back here. So I hope that is clear what your body, your system is. So your body, your system is fundamentally a technology. It's a whole new way of understanding your body that integrates Eastern medicine with not Western medicine, but engineering systems theory. And engineering systems theory is hardcore stuff that no one can argue with. And what I've done is integrate them. And if you can learn this, you can really start convincing the naysayers, the MDs, and, and people who think you're talking woo-woo stuff. And those MDs and you listening, this gives you a way to appreciate the Eastern systems of medicine, knowing that it's founded on scientific principles. Okay, so anyway, this is Dr. Shivaya Dure. As everyone knows, I'm, I'm an MIT PhD. I'm an inventor. I'm a scientist. I'm also running for United States Senate in Massachusetts. We're running uh, in an uh, extraordinary time. We've created this movement for truth, freedom, health, which has gone global. And most importantly, from a systems understanding, Massachusetts, when you look at it globally, is really the center of what you want to call the deep state of the military industrial academic complex you have mit harvard you have all these you know systems of companies here who are dedicated really to consolidating power and the guy i'm running against is joe kennedy okay and the kennedys in many ways are part of the deep state i'm not talking about john kennedy john kennedy was quite an extraordinary human being he was executed by the deep state but joe kennedy is part of the deep state he wants vaccine mandates he supports all the fear mongering and his uncle, uh, Robbie Kennedy, you know, endorsed him, raised money for him. Um, and Joe Kennedy's for vaccine mandate. So our winning in Massachusetts will be a huge, huge victory for us. And a real is frankly a death blow to them because a guy like me, 
People like us aren't supposed to beat the Kennedys. And that's what this campaign is going to be about. But our campaign is really about truth, freedom, and health, and teaching people to take a systems approach to understanding their body. Now, once you understand those principles, your body, your system, you can apply that to anything, any system. So I have Jen here. We're going to take some questions if you want. Uh, Teresa, you're welcome. Nice to hear from you. So I hope that was helpful. So everyone, go to your body, your system, wherever you are. You know, if you can't afford 25, pay whatever you can. We have scholarships there. If you're in Massachusetts, go support Shiva for Senate. We're running an incredible campaign. Some some of you may see. I just went uh, to the state house. We had about a thousand people show up. Uh, people are getting tired of the nonsense. People, there's a great awakening taking place, and the knowledge of systems, how to take care of our body, is how we can heal ourselves. It's not the virus that hurts our body, as I've talked about. It's the overreactive immune system because our body's off kilter. And the goal is if we can bring our body back to its natural system state, our body takes care of itself, right? Bring the black dot back to the red dot. So what's great about this tool is you'll actually understand where your red dot is and where your black dot is, how to bring them together. All right, Jen, let's take some questions. I'm Han, um, let's see, right here. Let me look at what we got here. Alfonso's there, vaccines are essential to global health. Someone says, uh, well, look, the issue here is not mandated medicine. That's what it's really about. It's really about, um, there's an array of interventions people have. The issue is what's right for you, okay? Red, red dot, exactly. What's right for you is what this is about. And in my view, it's, it's you know, I don't think it's really about vaccines. I think it's about boosting the immune system. And that's what you find. So that red dot is when your immune system is in good shape, your red dot, your black dot will be right on top of your red dot, okay? That's when you have homeostasis. Um, Jen, you wanna give me some questions people have? Um, what's your position on the Zionist infiltrators? Okay. Um, by the way, yes, people are saying you should go to Shiva for Senate. Um, if you take action, sign the Fauci petition. Fauci, as you know, did not even talk about vitamin D, vitamin A, vitamin C. To him, it's all about drugs, 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 drugs. And they have no idea of what I've just shared with you. So fire Fauci. Let's finish it up. I think we have less than uh, Shannon said volunteer for Shiva for Senate. Yes. So I'm running for U.S. Senate. Anyone out there on the ground you can even if you're outside of Massachusetts, you can volunteer for our campaign. If you're inside of Massachusetts, people like Shannon and others have um, our bottoms up. People like Shannon helped us collect signatures. We're the first on the ballot. We didn't pay for our signatures. We did it bottoms up. So we need volunteers. We need about 3,000 volunteers on the ground to win this campaign. So go up to that site, sign up to become a volunteer. If you are outside of Massachusetts and you have a friend or a family member in Massachusetts, tell them to go to that site, donate to the campaign and pledge to vote for us. So we're growing that pledge group. If you're in Massachusetts, also pledge on the campaign. So we know we got your number, your phone number, so we can communicate with you. But anyway, thank you, Shannon. Shannon is amazing volunteer. You know, people like her uh, and the many, many mothers and fathers and families are building up our movement bottoms up. Thank you. Uh, is there any way, uh, what, is, what someone says here, 
is there any way let me go back here oh, i lost some um these these things go up really fast um let me look at what someone's saying here how do you convince the powers that any type of pharmaceutical use can cause damage my daughter was on zofran when pregnant and her uh and her little's back teeth got rotten how can we stop this well look um one of the most important things to understand is what is a pharmaceutical? A pharmaceutical is not something that appears in nature. It's a synthetic drug. Now, the issue is, you know, my grandmother would tell me that anything in nature also can be poisonous. I don't know if you know that. Most plants, you know, the covering of them, like um, in Indian systems of medicine, for example, uh, when you eat seeds or when you eat certain types of legumes, like um, uh, kidney beans, if you eat them raw, can really hurt you and kill you. So the reason I'm telling you this is that ultimately, whether it's a drug or something in nature, all of these things have various levels of toxicity. For some people, it won't affect them. For others, it will. That's why the future of medicine is the right medicine for the right person at the right time. And that's what my grandmother would do. That's called precision medicine. So the way we can stop this is to recognize the entire paradigm of medicine cannot be one size fits all. If you look at what John Kennedy did in 1962, he created the National Vaccine Act. And I don't blame him because he was basing on a fake science model of the immune system. But then his brother created the vaccine, va National Vaccine Injury Program to protect pharma. And then his other brother, Bobby Kennedy, is out there actually wanting to make government bigger. He actually supports vaccinations. But then he's running around not talking about the fundamental issue, which is what I brought up which is we need to boost immune health. We need to boost immune health. We need to boost immune health. And one size does not fit all. These are the concepts that an engineer understands, but these are not the concept these people in the movement understand at all. Yeah, this is a very interesting question. Um, Shiva notes Bill Gates companies are partners in his venture. So this is a very stupid person here. Um, and I wanna bring out how stupid this person is because you know, my company, Echo Mail, we buy software and we get discounts. Uh, Bobby Kennedy said that I have a partnership with Bill Gates. So these kinds of people we do not want in the movement for truth, freedom and health. They're sort of robotic people and sort of dumb people who believe something what Bobby Kennedy does, who does a slanderous attack because his nephew's running for U.S. Senate. And I exposed him because he actually voted for Hillary Clinton three times. Hillary Clinton took money from Monsanto took money from Bill Gates, and uh, Bobby Kennedy voted for Hillary Clinton three times. So when a person like this either is a troll um, uh, or he's a stupid or he's working for Bobby Kennedy. So what I, I'm gonna do is I'm gonna do this. I'm gonna block this person because he's not qualified to be part of um, in our group here anymore. He can go hang out with other people. He doesn't deserve this kind of knowledge. Sorry, Booby Kennedy, exactly. It's a good way of putting it. Um, and you gotta understand we're at a point in human history. Um, look, one of the interesting things you need to understand is that in traditional systems of medicine, um, I think I have someone calling, hold on. Hi, uh, Rachel, I'm doing a, a call. Do you have a comment to share with us? Well, I'm watching her live right now and I have a couple of comments to share actually. Oh, sure, okay. go ahead. Well, I don't know if this is staggered or not, but from where I'm at, um, I'm watching somebody had thrown something up over the whole 
Kennedy did. Everybody in the nation has got to realize that the Kennedys are a part of the 1% elite. They do not represent us. They represent themselves. And this is obvious. Um, over and over and over. Um, when, you, when you look at it, these are people who will throw you scraps off their table or bone and then try to convince you that you're, they're doing you a favor. And their key objective is to keep the 99%, which is, you know, the people who are actually doing something, people of action under their thumb and controlling us. Yeah, I think, Rachel, I think the, the reality is I think most smart people know this. Um, and if you notice, you know, I had a woman just call me from Canada, about a 77-year-old woman, and she says the level of vitriol that after I exposed Bobby Kennedy that he's doing because they think people are stupid. What we're looking at fundamentally here is my intention is to teach you all of you how to understand things as systems because once you can, you don't need any, once you understand principles, you can solve any problem. These people in power, the Booby Kennedys and other ones, they want you to um, bow down to them. The MDs, they, they have a certain way of talking. They're elitist, frankly. You know, Rachel, uh, Rachel called me a few days ago. Rachel, you're up in Appalachia, right? Up in Kentucky. So, That's you know, right. I, I grew up around people who had very little, but they had amazing hearts. They had amazing commitment to the earth. These people like the Kennedys, you know, he was a heroin addict, okay? He had 44 affairs where why he was with his wife. And, you know, he hung around with Jeffrey Epstein. But for some reason, they brainwash people to, oh, that doesn't matter, that doesn't matter, that doesn't matter. It's a cult model. And we can't have people being stupid to believe cults, people to believe that I run a vaccine company where you're frankly very stupid. Get out of our way. You don't really, frankly, deserve any of the knowledge here. If you believe that I'm, uh, Bill Gates is my partner, you have the audacity to believe. So think about what Booby Kennedy did. He did the big lie. Hitler talked about this. Tell a lie, say it over and over again. That I have a vaccine company, big lie. That I have an issue with Gates, big lie. That I work with Gates and, and got money from the Clintons. These are all big lies. And that's the way they operate. Anyway, thank you, Rachel. Thanks for your calling in. But I think the big thing that people need to recognize is it's about truth. And that's why systems thinking is so powerful because when you understand how to connect the dots, you will not get bamboozled. And that's where we're at right now. Um, you know, in the Indian um, uh, system, it is said that we live in the age of the Kali Yuga. The Kali Yuga means we live in an age where we live in an age right now where truth and lies are going hand in hand. It's called one of the darkest periods of the age of the earth. But in the darkest time, you can have the greatest enlightenment enlightenment, excuse me, but it requires people to really overcome what's called illusion. So you have truth will be presented as lies and lies will be presented as truth. That's where we are right now. And it's quite a fascinating period to be in. I had some woman call me, this woman from Canada. She said, Shiva, you do these amazing videos. I love them. And then I saw them starting to attack you. And I realized, oh my God, their attacks are so vicious that they are the evil ones. So that's what, now, not everyone's gonna get this, and that's okay. You know, the people who really understand this is the people who are gonna become the powerhouse for building a real movement to become the light, to reconnect with their spirit within them, to reconnect with God, and that's how we're gonna win. And those people who wanna follow 
and be moved by this, that's evil and that's okay too. The separation needs to occur, that we need to divide truth from lies, you know, from, uh, you know, darkness from light. It's not about unity. You can't unify darkness and light, I'm sorry. You just can't. Um, water and oil don't mix, right? So it's okay to have this division, but it's also important to recognize that we're looking for people from when we look at soldiers to build a movement for truth, freedom, and health, it's gonna come from people who actually have a common sense understanding. If they're so foolish to, to believe, and by the way, the Kennedys kill people and they get away with it, okay? And that's why my winning, our winning, the seat in United States Senate seat in Massachusetts, which, which the Kennedys believe is their seat. And this is why Bobby Kennedy knows that I'm gonna beat his nephew. This is why he did a smear campaign. And the reason this is important to understand is Massachusetts is a center of the deep state. By winning here with someone like me who will bring the light here for all of us along with you, this will be like an explosive, explosive attack on the deep state. So we have to win here. And that's a systems analysis, what I just gave you. Uh, George Orwell wrote, wrote about this, that's true, in 1984, definitely, definitely. So as I shared yesterday, my entire life purpose is to make all of you systems revolutionaries for truth, freedom, and health. And the way you become a systems revolutionary is you start understanding systems principles. So go to your body, your system. If you're from outside of the country, if you're in the country, support the campaign. Our campaign is not just a US Senate campaign. Look, I went to this rally today. I think there are about a thousand, maybe 2000 people there. Everyone had seen my videos for truth, freedom, and health, all of them. And you know, I don't know who these people are, but they were so happy that we were educating them. And one of them came up to me and they said, you know, I saw what that Kennedy guy did to you. And he goes, it didn't make sense. He goes, I know you don't own a vaccine company. I know you're not with, with Gates. She goes, the fact that he said that made me realize that, and, and the fact that I knew he endorsed Hillary Clinton three times made me realize how evil he is. You see, people are smart, but we need warriors to go fight. You know, we need warriors to go win this battle. That's how we win. We don't win by sitting on the sidelines. We don't win by being quiet anymore. Once you get it, it is your duty to fight. I was very fortunate to learn a lot of knowledge and that's why I put myself out there. It's not sufficient that you know all this knowledge, you know the truth and you sit back. So it's know the truth as I say, be the light and find your way, which means you need to participate. So all those people who came out today were extraordinary people, working people who are tired of the system, scaring the hell out of them. Everyone running around with masks. It's like almost like we live in some, you know, uh, communist state, you know, top down. That's not what it is about. Health is, as you, as I shared here, health emerges when you understand your body and health cannot come top down. It comes from understanding our body, what our system state is, what our disturbances are. Ultimately, you don't need a tool like your body or system. If you're in touch with your body, you build an intuition. You know, you know what? I didn't get enough sleep that day. Let me get some more sleep. You know, I'm not eating right because you feel your way through your body. And this tool is to help you bring you back in touch with your body. It's also let you bring in touch with what is truth and what is lies. Someone says this, what about the law of wearing masks when we shouldn't have to? It is unconscious. Why should we? You're absolutely right, John. 
you know, this entire mask wearing, non-mask wearing, mandated vaccines, the government being involved. Again, the Kennedys want the government in your life. My view is the government should not be involved. Health is between you and you and if, whoever else you want. No one should be, whether you want to take cannabis or pharmaceutical drugs or shoot yourself with heroin or, or eat well or, or exercise, that's up to you. It should be an individual decision. No state has a right to tell you what to do. Now, if you want to get educated on what's good for you, great. But regardless of that, from a liberty standpoint, no one has a right to tell you what to do. This is your body. We have a molecule. Let's roll. Uh, let's see. Someone says, uh, what do we got here? I had zero. Uh, okay. People are writing in more. Weed is good. Um, look, if you want, I'll do a, we run cytos, we run cannabis in the CBDs and THC through Cytosol. Um, a number of people, I, I'm, we're doing a project where we're running adrenochrome through Cytosol. We'll have some very interesting data. It's a bunch of people have asked me to do that. But if anyone wants me to run anything through Cytosol, um, please send an email to vashiva at vashiva.com. Now that you understand what Cytosol is, it's a technology that it's, it's mathematical models of different functions of our biomolecular functions. So we can say, hey, what happens when you take remdesivir? What happens when you take hydrochloroquine? What happens when you take vitamin D? We can actually understand this. Everyone should be excited about Cytosol. We make mathematical models. We don't make vaccines. The fact that someone would say that is, is just evil. That's what it is. Um, what else do we have? Adrenochrome. Yep. Um, your name wasn't not sure. Someone's saying this things are going by a little bit. Okay. Someone, this is interesting. I thought we were entering a new age. We're still in the Kali Yuga. Yes. So right now we're still in the Kali Yuga. So if you look at the, now within the Kali Yuga, it is predicted that there may also be a golden age within it. And listen, these are all, you know, um, mythology. Uh, no one knows exactly what it is. In my view, none of these predictions matter. It's what we decide to do as people. Let's see. Uh, Jen, is there any other stuff coming through? See, this is what this person says. So I think they don't want to be here anymore. <laughs> there we go. They're gone. Yep. Thank you. Uh, let's see what we got here. Yes. So here we go. Someone's saying cytosol song problems with the toxicity of drugs. Yeah. So, so I will do a paper we just got published recently where um, it took us five years to get this published. The U.S. pharmacopoeia is if you go pick up a bottle of vitamins, there'll be a thing called USP. These are guys who validate what's in the vitamins. About six years ago, we were asked to look at the soldiers in the military taking five different drugs slash supplements or taking synephrine, yohimbine, caffeine, arginine, 
And they're taking them in all these combinations, Denise. And the goal was, could we understand the toxicity? So what is a drug? Look, food is a multi-combination drug, okay? So there are foods that if you eat too much of, sugar becomes a drug, right? So we got to break down uh, these walls between pharmaceuticals and vitamins. All of them ultimately are chemicals. Now you could take way too much, you know, fats, they affect your body. It's all based on the dosaging. So in traditional systems of medicine, one of the things they realized was it's about dosage. If you give a little bit of mercury, believe it or not, a little bit, which comes from basil, it actually helps your brain. Too much hurts your brain. Arsenic, if you look at small dosages of arsenic in Eastern and in traditional system medicine, it was actually supportive of the heart. Too much was, was, didn't work. It's called the principle of hormesis. So a fascinating thing about chemistry is the dosage. So dosaging is something that's not well understood by a lot of people. It's how much and how often you do something. Um, you know how they say, sometimes it's good to drink a little bit of wine, right? Alcohol. Well, too much can hurt, hurt the liver function too. And if you do a certain amount, some people believe it helps hepatic function. So it's a quite an interesting thing. Medicine ultimately is an art and an information science. It's an art and an information science. That's why medicine can never be mandated top down because it's too complicated. It has to be between the individual and their practitioner or themselves. So my entire goal as part of our campaign is we need to decentralize healthcare. We need to get vaccines completely out. Forget fighting for the crumbs of religious mandates. The 1962 law passed by John Kennedy and then further supported by Ted Kennedy and now sort of being dawdled with by this booby Kennedy all needs to just go away. The government should not be involved in our lives, period. I'll take a few more questions here. I haven't been looking at Instagram. Sorry about that. Uh, medicine is an art and an information science. That's what, exactly, exactly. We can't have medicine be top down at all. It has to be, it's too complicated. The body is too complex. Okay. Uh, good. Meditation. Yeah. I'll, I'll do a whole talk about meditation if you want. How many of you would like to learn different meditation forms? You know, I was trained in various of them from Vipassana to Anapana to, you know, Sura Shabda Yoga. There's a whole bunch of different meditation forms and each one of them have different uses. We could talk about, in fact, a lot of the yoga world, uh, believe it or not, is disintegrated. Uh, there was a form of integral yoga where you actually interconnected all parts of your chakras that they were known. And a lot of that has actually been forgotten, but we could do a whole lecture just on that at some point. Okay. I think I'm going to, unless there's any questions, I think I'm going to call it a night, but I hope this is valuable. I hope everyone understood what your body, your system is. And again, um, those of you, don't forget that I'm running for United States Senate. This is Dr. Shiva Ayadure, and I wish you all an extremely good night. Please support the campaign. This is going to be a historic campaign. We only have about 110 days left until the election in September. So tell all your friends that I'm running for U.S. Senate. This is your campaign. Again, winning in Massachusetts will be a huge victory for truth, freedom, and health, given what Massachusetts represents, given that the Kennedys believe that they can run Massachusetts. I'm running against a Kennedy. 
who supports vaccine mandates. I'm running against a Kennedy whose uncle lied, did three big lies because he doesn't want everyday people coming. They think they're going to own the movement. That's why we must win in Massachusetts for all of us, for all of our children, for our future, and for a victory for truth, freedom, and health. Anyway, be the light. Be well, everyone. Have a good night. Thank you.